0: I wanna just start the message today by reminding you of this truth. What you believe will determine how you live. What you believe is going to determine how you live. What's going on inside your head and your heart will determine your behavior, your attitudes, your behavior, and the outcome of your life. And to illustrate it, I wanna share a story that I've shared before, and I hope I don't bore you by sharing it again, but I once read a fable about an eagle that thought he was a chicken. Has anybody ever heard this story? I once read this fable about an eagle that thought he was a chicken. When the eagle was really small, he fell out of the safety of his nest. And a chicken farmer happened to come along and he found that little baby eagle and he brought him to the farm where he put that baby eagle in the chicken coop with all the chickens. So the eagle grew up believing that he was a chicken. So the the eagle, not the evil, the eagle... Lived like a chicken, and he did what chickens do. What do chickens do? Peck around at the ground, scratch. What? Ah! Yeah. Well, a forest ranger happened to hear about this eagle that thought he was a chicken. The forest ranger wanted to see for himself if it were true, and he went by the farm and and uh, and he looked at that eagle. And he the the forest ranger knew that the eagle is the king of the sky, and he was completely surprised. To see this eagle scratching around in the dirt, living in a chicken coop, pecking at the ground and acting very much like a chicken. The farmer explained to the forest ranger that this bird was no longer an eagle. In fact, the farmer said this bird is now a chicken because he's been trained to be a chicken and he believes himself to be a chicken. Well, the forest ranger knew that couldn't be true. The forest stranger knew there had to be more to this great bird than his actions showed. He knew that that eagle had been born to be an eagle and had the heart of an eagle, and nothing could change that. So the forest stranger picked up that eagle and he set that eagle on a fence. And he said to the eagle Eagle, you're an eagle. You're not born. Just peck around in the dirt like a chicken. You're born to fly high in the sky like an eagle, so eagle, stretch your wings and fly. And the eagle looked at him with a dumb look of a chicken and jumped back down to the ground where he started again, doing what chickens do, pecking at the ground, scratching at the ground. The forest ranger wasn't finished yet. Even though the farmer looked at the forest ranger and said, I told you. He's not an eagle anymore. He's a chicken. The forest ranger wasn't about to give up, so the forest ranger came back the next day, and he tried again to convince the farmer and the eagle that the eagle had been born to be an eagle. So he took the forest ranger took the eagle up to the top of the farmhouse, and he spoke to the eagle. And he said, Eagle, you are an eagle. You belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch out your wings and fly. The well, large bird looked at the man like a dumb chicken, simply plopped back down on top of the farm roof, plopped back down on the ground, started scratching and pecking at the dirt like chickens do. The forest ranger thought for a moment about giving up, but he said, no, I'm not going to give up on an eagle yet. I know that eagle was born to be an eagle and not a chicken, so the forest stranger asked the farmer if he could have just one more try, one more try, He said, I'm going to come back the next day and I'm going to prove that this bird is an eagle and not a chicken. The farmer, who wasn't convinced at all, said, it's a chicken. It's a chicken. Just let him be a chicken. The forest stranger didn't want to give up. So the forest stranger came back the next day to the chicken farm. He took the eagle and the farmer some distance away to the foot of a great mountain, not far from the farm. They couldn't see the farm. They couldn't see the chicken coop anymore. But the man, the forest ranger, picked the eagle up, high in his arm, and he pointed that eagle's face to the sky, and he said, "Eagle, you're an eagle. You're not born to peck around on the, in the dirt like a chicken. You're born to fly high in the school, like in, in, in the sky, like an eagle. So, eagle, stretch out your wings and fly." And the eagle lifted up its head shook himself, stretched out his great wings, and launched himself into the sky and soon disappeared high above the clouds. And they say that every so often that eagle will still come to visit the farmer and his chickens, but not to roost in a chicken coop or peck at the ground for food, but the eagle will come to visit... But then he flies high away, back into the sky, because the eagle now believed he was an eagle and not a chicken. You see what you believe? what you believe will determine how you live. What you believe is going to determine your behavior and how you live your life. If an eagle believes he's a chicken, he's going to live like a chicken. But if an eagle believes he's an eagle, he's going to fly like an eagle. Fly like an eagle. Yes, I'm sorry, I can't help the rock and roll things. Look, in the first two chapters of Colossians, in the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul is trying to convince us that we are not spiritual chickens. We've been created to be eagles in Christ. We've been created to fly high above the circumstances and the situations of this life. And he has done this by helping us to focus on the incomparable Christ. Paul has spent the first two chapters in this little letter helping us to focus our hearts and our minds on the incomparable Christ. And in these first two chapters, Paul emphasizes the supremacy of Christ, the glory of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. In chapter 1, if you read, just refresh your memory a little bit, in chapter 1, Paul fixates on the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and paid the, the penalty for your sins and my sins, Rose back to life again, gives us power to to, to live a new life. Paul fixates on the person and work of Jesus Christ in the first chapter. But then in chapter 2, Paul comes back and he says, now that you know who Christ is, let me warn you about something. Let me warn you about false teachers who are going to try to take your attention, your focus off of Christ and put it somewhere else. And Paul warns us to stay away from false teachers and false teachings who call into question the person, the divine person, and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 2, Paul warns us you've got to avoid this idea of legalism, this idea that if you follow man-made rules and rituals and become part of a certain religious uh, uh, group, that you will be more saved than you already are in Christ. Don't don't let that, that legalism... Uh, uh, poison, poison the truth of who you are in Christ. Paul warns the, us to stay away from mysticism, this idea that we're made, that, uh, that if we have a deeper experience or secret knowledge, we'll be made more right with God than we already are in Christ. Nothing's going to make us more right with God than we already are. We don't need another experience. We just need the grace of God in Christ Jesus to make us right with God, right? Paul warns, uh, goes on and warn, warns us about asceticism. He says if we, which says if we sacrifice more, then God's going to love us more than he already does in Christ Jesus. Man, Christianity, religious Christianity is filled with this idea, if I just give up more, I'll get more of God. No, it's not the way it works, man. We already have all that we need in Christ Jesus. He is our sufficiency. Paul says all these ideas, these false teachings, they're nonsense. They're nonsense. Paul says we are already united to Christ And in Christ, Paul says in these first two chapters, we have everything we need to be saved, to be free, to be forgiven, to be united with with God. In Christ, we are as forgiven as we can be. You can't be more forgiven than you already are. Christ paid the penalty for your sin. You're forgiven. In Christ, we we are as free as we can be. There's no more freedom available to us. What we need to do is believe it and walk in it. In Christ, he says, we are, are, that our fellowship with God is as close as it can get. You just have to believe it and walk in it and enjoy it. We are united to Christ, Paul says in these first two chapters, and in Christ we are made complete. He is our sufficiency. Christ is all we need. You can't add anything to it. Chapter 3 marks a beginning. Uh, In in chapter 3, Paul turns our attention away from the person and the finished work of Christ to tell us how we now ought to apply it to our life. How we can live like God wants us to live because of what Christ has done and because of who Christ is. And here's what I want to tell you. Sound doctrine should always lead to sound living. Because what we believe, you know, here's here's the truth. So many of us are still caught up in sinful behavior and attitudes because we haven't gotten our theology right yet. We still trust ourselves too much. We still think that we're smarter than God is. We still think that somehow I've got to do more to save myself. I've got to do more to free myself. Our theology, we, we, because we have a small God, our faith is small and our trust is small and we still live like chickens instead of the eagles that we've been created to be. Does that make sense? It's because our theology still isn't as sound as it ought to be. We've gotten our eyes off of, on a, still on ourselves or on something else or someone else and not on Christ where it needs to be. And in chapter 3, Paul is telling us, look, this is all true of you, now live in it, walk in it, live in the joy of it, live in the freedom of it. Paul moves in chapter 3 from what we are to believe about Christ to how we should behave in Christ. In chapter 3, Paul moves from our position in Christ to our practice in life as Christians. He moves from the work of Christ to our walk as believers in Christ. In other words, this is what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to say this, and he says this You are in Christ, now be who you are. You are in Christ, now be who you are. You are in Christ, so now begin to act in such a way that it is consistent with who you profess to be. How many of you are in Christ? You know you're in Christ, you've trusted Christ to save you. Well, Paul is saying, now start to live like it. And this is how you do it. This is how you live. You are united to Christ. These truths are true about you. Now all you need to do is put them into practice in your life. Walk in a way consistent with this new reality that you're living in. You are in Christ. You're an eagle, not a chicken. That's what Paul's saying. You're an eagle, not a chicken. Stop living like the other chickens, doing what chickens do, scratching around in the dirt with your head down, you walk, know. <laughs> walk. Stop living like a chicken. Start living like the eagle that you've been created to be in Christ Jesus. That's the whole point of chapters 3 and 4. And we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this. How do I live as a follower of Christ in my home? How do I live as a follower of Christ on my job? How do I live as a follower of Christ in, in school with my friends? How do, I, how do I live as a follower of Christ in my marriage? We're going really to get down to some of the nitty-gritty of life. Because we, if, if we have the right belief, then we ought to be able to live in the right way. Get it? What you believe will determine how you live. And the reason some of us are still living in weird and ungodly and not, Christ-like, you know, not quite Christ-like ways is because we're still... We still got some squirrely thoughts in our minds, some stinking thinking still going on. And we've got to replace this stinking thinking with some good thoughts, godly thoughts. And if we do, we start moving in the right direction because it will be Christ working in our hearts to make us live as He would have us live. Look, you're an eagle, not a chicken. Live like an eagle, be who you are. Christ wants us to live like saints, not sinners. Christ wants us to live like his children, children of God, not children of the devil. Christ wants us to live like victors, not victims. Christ wants us to live like overcomers and refuse to be overcome. So in Colossians 3, Paul gets right down to the nitty-gritty. But in the first four verses, he really helps us by, he helps us by giving us a secret. The secret of being who we are in Christ. And I want to point this out to you because in these first four verses, I think we find a foundation, a launching pad, if you will, that will help us launch into this new reality of living like eagles instead of chickens. These first four verses, I believe, give us the secret to living like Christ wants us to live. So let's read these four verses and let's get into this. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. I want you to reflect on it a lot when you get home. Then we're going to share some communion together and spend some time, more time in worship and prayer. But here we go, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let's read this together. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want you to notice two phrases that are placed in this passage of Scripture. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Hearts have to do with your desires. Minds have to do with your thoughts. In other words, set your hearts on things above and set your minds your thoughts on things above let's pray father i love you so much my mind is racing with all the things i want to say today and i'm afraid it's just me wanting to say them and i ask you father to help me step back right now and you take over There are people in this room, Jesus, I know, they need a fresh word from you, a clear word. They need a, a word that brings deliverance, a word that brings freedom, hope, and salvation. I don't have those words. Those are words that only you can bring. So I ask you, Lord to speak through me this morning. People in this room who are tired of living like chickens and they're ready to fly like eagles. People who are tired of living like sinners, they want to live like saints. I pray today as we spend this moment in time in this passage of scripture, Lord, that, that something would, supernatural would take place in our hearts and minds, a light switch go on. We would gain understanding, clarity about what you mean, about how we can put it into practice. Give us ears to hear Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to point out to you three statements of truth that Paul makes in this passage of scripture that provide for us a foundation upon which we can build our lives as followers of Christ, just three truths. He kind of summarizes it, frankly, this is what I think he does. In these first four verses, he summarizes a lot of what he's already said in chapter two, and it provides us a bridge from, this, uh, this, from doctrine to practice, from, you know, from belief to behavior. This is, these three truths kind of give us a bridge, if you will, from just being a mere intellectual kind of exercise to really beginning to put it into practice. But I think these three truths have to be pointed out again, and here they are. The three truths in these four verses of, of, of Scripture that provide a launching pad for us to live a life filled with the glory of God are these. First... Our life is hidden with Christ. We've got to get this in our heads. Our life is hidden with Christ. Would you say it with me? My life is hidden with Christ. My life is hidden with Christ. Say it again. My life is hidden with Christ. Say it one more time. My life is hidden with Christ. He says that in verse 3. And what he's saying here is this. Once we put our trust in Christ... Our life is somehow organically, spiritually, if you will, united to Christ's life. His righteousness is now our righteousness. Okay? His power is now our power too. His wisdom is our wisdom too. His love is now our love too. Our life, once we put our trust and faith in Christ, once we accept the fact and the truth that he died for us on the cross, once we repent of our sin, turn to him in faith, at that moment, our life is organically united to the life of Christ. Our life is hidden in his. Jesus says in John fifteen five this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Think about that for just a minute. Scotty over there, he, he tells me they have the scuppernong vine over on their property that produces scuppernongs, and they don't even like scuppernongs, it just produces scuppernongs. Just, you guys... Scuplins. Does anybody know what that is? How many of you do not know what a scupling is? Oh, my Scotty. We've got to educate these people about scuplins, brother. Scuplins is like a little wild grape. They're delicious, right? Delicious. Now, if you, the the, the scupling, the fruit that hangs from the tree hangs from these individual branches. The individual branches are tied to the vine that grows out of the ground, right? right. There's, I've seen, seen them put up different ways, but usually there's a, there's a big stalk, if you will. But it's a vine. It's not a tree. It's not a bush. It's a vine that grows up out of the ground and it just branches. It just goes crazy. And people build these little, what do they call them? Fences. P- not pavilion things, oh, wow. trellis. There you go, trellis, and the vine just kind of goes everywhere. And then as the fruit grows, it kind of hangs down, and you go up under the trellis, you start picking the fruit, and oh, it's delicious Scupling jam. Nobody, you guys haven't had Scupling jelly. Some of y'all think it's Scupling wine. I'm not talking that. No. <laughs> what? Muscadine. Very similar. Very similar. Muscadine. There you go. Okay. <laughs> But in order for those branches to produce fruit, it's got to be what? Attached to the vine, right? If you separate the vine from the branch, what happens? The branch dies, no fruit, right? But as long as it's attached to that vine, man, there's fruit. Listen, in a similar way, our lives, when we put our trust in Christ, is organically united to Christ's life. So Christ is the root. He is the vine. We're the branches, right? But now suddenly we have life flowing into us, his life flowing into us. The source of our life is Christ Jesus himself. You get that? That's what it means when the Bible talks about our life is hidden with Christ. Christ rose to life, or, or, or Christ died for us, That means we died with him. Christ rose to life again. That means we're going to live again, that we are living through his power. His life is flowing in us. He rose again to life for us. We rise again to live for him. We're inseparable. We're inseparable. Everything he is, we are. Everything he has, we have. His resources become our resources. His life, his power, his strength, his wisdom. It's now ours because it flows to us through his resurrection. Uh, Man, it's so, it's too deep for me. Christ lives in us. Christ lives through us. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 4, Christ is our life. He is our life. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. You know what that means? That means we can be who we're supposed to be in Christ. That means that there's no excuses. Excuses are gone. Christ is living in us, through us, for us. His life is flowing out of our lives. It's like we have dug an artesian well. You guys know what an artesian well is, right? It's a well. It's a well that never runs dry, it just keeps pumping water. You know who can shut the water off? We can. You know, we can turn the pump off if you want to. And you can stop having water flowing into your, into your house if you want. I gotta, we got a well at the house. As long as that pump's flowing, that pump's on, this pumping water, all the water we ever need. In spite of the drought, we've had plenty of water. If I turn the pump off, guess what happens? No water. I like water. A lot. So we keep the pump on. My question is, are you keeping your pump on? Is Christ's life flowing in you, through you, out of you? Is it because everything you need, he is, right? Do you think Christ likes, lacks anything? No, no. So, so anything that Christ says you can be, you can be. Anything Christ says you can do, you can do. You have all the life, the power, the wisdom that you need to be anything Christ has called you to be and to do. Does that make sense? I hope. To, anyway, i got to move on. So our life is hidden with Christ. We're, we're, we're united with him, and nothing can separate us from, his, from this life. The second truth that's here is, you find it in verse 1, To summarize it, it says the the victory is won. The victory is won. In verse 1, it says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, that's that's a seat of power, of ultimate power and ultimate authority. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That means that Christ has won for us the victory over sin, death, and hell. He has conquered all of our enemies. Psalm 27.1 puts it this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What have I got to be afraid of? Christ sits at the right hand of God, always making intercession for me. He has all authority and power. So Romans 8 says, if he's for me, then what? Who can be against me? The victory is ours. There is no enemy you face that he hasn't already overcome. So you can be anything he has called you to be. You can do anything he has called you to do. There is no enemy that can stand in your way. No enemy can stop you from being and doing anything that Christ has called you to be and do. It may require that you stand in faith and come under attack, but guess what? In the end, who wins? The battle's already been won. Those of you who are fighting against addiction and you think that you're never going to win, you're never going to beat it, I am telling you, you've already won the victory. Just stand in it. Live like a victor. You may have a setback every once in a while, but that's okay. You get up and say, devil, you got me once, you ain't getting me again. I'm not going to give in anymore. Somebody, you know, I had a young person one time who, in a youth group a long, long time ago. And he said, he kept coming to the altar. He was, struggling. he was struggling with pornography. He's not here. You don't know who he is, so I can say that. He was struggling with pornography, a young man. And it's a common issue that many of us struggle with. But week after week, he would come to the altar. Week after week, he would you know, confess uh, his struggle and confess his failures. And he would pray to the Lord. And he, I don't know, after a couple of months of this, He asked me after the the service, he said, Pastor Mark, he said, I'm struggling with this. How many times should I come to the altar and lay this before the Lord and confess my failure? You know what I told him? As many times as it takes, brother. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. What this young man needed to understand is that he had already won the victory in Christ. He had to just learn how to stand in that victory and live in the freedom of that victory. And that's a lesson that many of us have to learn. How often should I come back to the throne of God for grace? As often as you need to. Hallelujah. Mm. You see, the battle to be who we ought to be, it's already over. Christ has won that victory for us. So now let's live in this victory that he's provided. Let's let's live as the people of God he's created us to be. The third truth that he brings up that provides this bridge to help us move from just a doctrinal understanding of Christ to who we ought to be in Christ is this. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. Do you get that? We're going to heaven. Verse 4 talks about it. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Look, this world isn't our home. This world is not our, would you say that with me? This world's not my home. I I wish we could just let the depth and the the power of that truth sink deep. So this world's never going to make you happy. I don't know about you. The happiest place in my life on this planet is my house. It's my sanctuary. It's my refuge. I love going home. As soon as I pull up into the dirt road leading up into my house, I feel, like, I feel like, I don't know, this huge pressure has been lifted off, and I can begin to decompress, and I can begin to relax. And is, I don't know how you feel about your home here on earth. That's the way I feel about mine. It's my refuge. It's my sanctuary, right? But even, even at that, I, I know that this, this sanctuary, this refuge I have in my home here on earth is only temporary because then the phone rings. (laughs) Somebody texts. Or then my wife comes in and says, oh, I've got a flat tire today, can you fix it? I I know that there is nothing in this world that's going to to be a permanent sanctuary, a permanent refuge for me. This world is not my home. Everything here is temporary, but I'm on my way to heaven. And guess what? In heaven, that refuge is for real and is forever. And there's no sin, no tears, no sorrow, no death, no just nothing. It's just peace and joy and hope. And I don't know about you, but as time goes on, the less satisfied I get with anything here and the more I desire what lies ahead. Heaven. 1 Peter 2.11 calls us foreigners and exiles. Foreigners and exiles. We're just pilgrims passing through. Heaven is our ultimate destination. Heaven is our eternal home, not not this world. And we need to keep the goal of heaven in view at all times. Because it's there that we're going to experience what we're really longing for, not here. I love the the serenity prayer that says, and I just went blank, talks about supreme, or, or... so that, I, yeah, there you go. Say that prayer with me, Casey. Somebody, help me out. The whole thing, from start to finish. God. And the wisdom to know the difference. Reasonably happy. Our problem is we're trying to be supremely happy in this life and it ain't going to happen. That's our problem. You think about it. You think about it. We're trying to find ultimate happiness here. There is no such thing. No such thing. We can find moments of relative happiness, but ultimate happiness, it's not gonna happen. You know why? This is what C.S. Lewis says. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I were not made for earth, we were made for heaven. So don't expect to find permanent happiness here enjoy those moments of relative happiness but realize it's temporary the bad times are temporary but may also remind you even the happy times are temporary too here on earth but there is an ultimate happiness that lies ahead of us and as we make our way home this is what you can be sure of that Christ who started the work in you he's going to finish the work he's going to He's going to do everything he's promised to do. God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So I would go back to say to my young teenage brother struggling with pornography, keep coming back, because every time you come back, you give God another opportunity to work in but you. But you've got to understand, he won't be completely finished with his work until you see Christ face to face. So those of you struggling with some kind of addiction or some kind of lingering, life-controlling problem, let me say this. Keep coming back knowing that one day when you see Christ face-to-face, you're never going to struggle with that thing again. But take those, listen to me carefully, take those moments of victory, those moments when you look at temptation and say no, and enjoy the happiness of it. But just don't take it for granted. (laughs) <laughs> because guess what? There's probably going to be another temptation around the other corner, and because you experience victory today doesn't mean you might not experience defeat tomorrow because you know what? We've got to be careful if we think we stand because we might fall. I am going on rabbit trails all over the place, and I don't know why. Listen, we're, we're, we're not made for earth. We're made for heaven, and let's keep that in mind. Those are the three truths that I want to point out that Paul mentions in this passage of Scripture, that our life is hidden with Christ, the victory's already won, and we're going to heaven. And it's with these three truths in mind that we can be who we are created to be in Christ Jesus. It's with these three truths in mind that then Paul gives us the secret that we need to hang on to the secret that we need to cling to if we're going to be who we are in Christ. And here's the secret. Here it is. Fix your heart and mind on heaven. Fix your heart and mind on heaven. Get and keep a Christ-centered perspective in your life, a Christ-centered heart and mind. Actively, intentionally focus your desires, your heart, and your thoughts, your mind, heavenward. That's what he says. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. Now, how many you want to be who Christ has called you to be? You're not willing to settle for anything less. Well, here's the secret. Stop pecking around in the dirt like a chicken and start looking skyward like an eagle. Get your mind off the things of the world. Get your heart and your affections and your desires off the things of the world and focus them heavenward because that's where your home is and that's where your hope is. You see, the eagle had to stop pecking at the ground and start looking at the sky before he could start acting like an eagle. It's the same way for us. Remember, what you believe will determine how you live. And if your heart and your mind are fixed in the right direction, if your desires and your thoughts are focused on the right things, then more and more you will be able to live as you're supposed to live in Christ. Fix your heart and your mind on heaven. But let's be honest, that's not easy for us, is it? That's not easy for us. It's not normal. Or it doesn't seem to be the normal practice of our life. Normally our hearts are fixed on the world around us. Normally our thoughts are directed to the world around us. The desires of our hearts are locked into things like making more money and getting more power and being more popular. Our thoughts are more directed toward... uh, 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 they're centered around how to get what we want and how to get people to like us and how to get our own way. So normally, is this not our life experience? We're looking around, we're trying to control situations and control people because we can't get our eyes upward, we can't get our eyes skyward, we can't get our eyes on heaven, we're looking around at the world around us and it it seems like the normal, normally our our lives are, are, are lived out, stressed out, fretting, worrying, Scheming, manipulating, pouting, complaining, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, wondering how in the world I'm going to get what I want. Oh, man. Another disappointing day. Come on, is that not true? And you know why? Because we're too busy looking at the, trying to control the people and the situations around us. Instead of looking to, to heaven, looking to Jesus, who is in control of all that. That's not how we're supposed to live as God's children. We're not supposed to live pecking around at the dirt, scratching around in the dirt. <laughs> we're supposed to live like eagles, man, flying above all that stuff. We're living like chickens because we can't get our eyes to look toward heaven. How do we fix, and this, this, is, this is really where I want to go. How do we fix our minds and hearts on heaven? How do we get there? H- how do we discipline? And that's what it takes. It takes some discipline, guys. It takes some consistent effort on our parts. We've been given everything we need in Christ Jesus, amen? Our life is hidden with His. We've been given victory over every situation and over every circumstance we face, amen? Every temptation, we've already been given victory over it, right? Right? So now how do we fix our minds and our hearts heavenward? We've got to, first of all, recognize and put aside worldliness, worldly thinking. We've got to recognize and put aside worldliness. I mean, every time, we're going, we're about to enter... you know materialistic orgy called Christmas And every time we look at an advertisement and every time we look at a sales catalog we have got to remind ourselves that nothing in that advertisement nothing in this catalog is gonna make me more valuable make me more significant make me more happy than I already am in Christ Jesus I had the privilege of buying my wife, a car, a little Hyundai Veloster a couple of weeks ago over Thanksgiving. Now, we've gone, she's gone without a vehicle for a year. We've had to borrow a vehicle for a year. And a couple of years ago, before we went without a vehicle, she looked at one of those little Velosters and said, Man, I really like that car. And being the good husband that I am, I tucked that little thought away in the back of my mind, and I'd come back every once in a while and say, you know, what do you think about the little Hyundai Veloster? Oh, I like it. Have you read anything about it? Nah. And I'd tell her that I'd read some reviews about it, and the reviews weren't all that good, but the people who bought it seemed to really like it, but, you know, the experts didn't like it. And we know, Well, I don't know what you think about experts, but I have my own thoughts about experts. Anyway, so over Thanksgiving, after two years, research, studying, I decided okay let's bite the bullet without her knowledge I found a car in Tuscaloosa and we bought it over, over Thanksgiving as I handed her to the car and she was so happy she still is she's glowing about the car of course it's only two weeks old but in two years when the car's starting to break down how do you think she's going to feel about that car the car broke down again Mark got to take it into the shop Mark it's costing us another $200 Mark I know what's going to happen in two years I know exactly what's going to happen. I just hope she understands that too. (laughs) You know how it is? Sometimes that thing you think is such a blessing, almost overnight becomes a curse. Because there's nothing in this world that's going to make you happy. Permanently. Nothing in this world gives you really any significance, any value. It's just not. We've got to understand that our worldly way of looking at things sometimes tells us if I could just have that, if I could just get that, if I could just be that, I'll be happy. Only to find out when we get that and when we become that, we're not happy. Some of you who've gotten promotions at at job, you have worked so hard to get that promotion, you get that promotion, and in two months, what do you want to do? Quit. We've got to understand. We've got to recognize and put aside worldly thinking. Every time we look at a sales catalog, we have to remind ourselves that nothing in that catalog will make us more valuable or significant than we already are in Christ. Every time we're tempted to compromise our ethics in order to make more money, we have to remind ourselves the choice that I make will have an eternal consequence. Every time we're tempted to choose pleasure rather than obedience, we have to remember, if I do this, I will be offending the one who gave his life for me on the cross. True happiness can't be found in anything that this world has to offer. Let's get over that right now. True happiness, permanent happiness, eternal happiness, supreme happiness, whatever you want to call it, can't be found here in this life. It cannot be found here. It won't be found in a new car. It won't be found in a new house. It won't be found in a new job. It won't be found in a new boyfriend. True happiness can only be found in heaven. True happiness can only be found in the one who gave his life for you. Christ who waits for us there. Listen. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, "Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do n- excuse me, do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal." For memorize this first. "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Where your treasure, where you invest your time, Where you invest your money, where you invest your talent, wherever it is you invest yourself, that's where your heart's going to be. We need to stop investing ourselves in the world and start investing ourselves in heaven. You get that? Our heart will follow our treasure. That's another sermon for another day. One old Puritan named William Law said it this way. He said, Treasures are laid up in heaven only as treasures on earth are laid down. Some of us need to start laying down some treasures here. I mean, our hearts, we we have been investing ourselves in the wrong things for far too long, and that's why we're so unhappy, and that's why we can't live for Jesus. We've been investing in all the wrong things, the wrong people, the wrong ideas the wrong pursuits. It's time to begin to invest yourself in heaven because where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where do you set your hearts? Where do you set your desires? Is Christ your greatest desire? Is heaven your greatest desire? Or do you still find your heart and your mind consumed with the things of this world? What, what do you think, what's the last thing you think about when you put your head down on the pillow at night? What's the first thing you think in the morning when you wake up? What obsesses your mind and heart when you don't have anything to think about and do? Second, make time to recalibrate your desires and thoughts. First, recognize and put aside worldly thinking, but second, make time to recalibrate your desires and thoughts. You know, when you go on a long trip, it pays to stop and check the map to make sure you're still headed in the right direction. I had a uh, couple of kids in my youth group in Ozark that decided they wanted to visit a college in Lakeland, Florida. And to get to this college, you went south on 231 until it came to I-10 and then you were supposed to go east on I-10. Instead, when they got to I-10, they went west. This young man named Joey, young lady named Amy. Now, Amy was pretty sure they'd taken the wrong turn. But Joey, being the arrogant dude, sure Amy was wrong. And he was driving. (laughs) So he just kept going west. She kept saying, Joey, I think we're going in the wrong direction. No, we're not, Amy. Just shut up. They kept going. They kept going. They finally, finally, as they came into Mobile City Limits, Joey finally admitted, we're going in the wrong direction. we got to turn around and head back. They lost like a couple hundred miles in like four hours. Now, Joey should have listened to Amy and recalibrated his direction long before that. And I I love the humility he, you know, on display when I talked to him about it. It was funny. He was all red-faced and first time I'd ever seen Joey humble. But anyway... We need to make time to recalibrate our, our desires and thoughts. As we make our way home toward heaven, guess what? We need to stop all along and say, am I going in the right direction? Is, is, are my desires pointed, focused on the right thing? Are my thoughts moving me in the right direction? We need to do that all along. I don't know about you. It's easy for me to get lost when I'm in unknown, uncharted territory. And spiritually, sometimes... You know, there's not a GPS right there whispering in your ear. You've got to stop and make time to recalibrate. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Make time to ingest the Word of God. Make time to, to get into the Word of God. Second Timothy 3 says this, "...all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right." God's Word is this rubric that we've been given to help us distinguish His truth from the world's lies. It's His rubric we've been given that helps us distinguish godly behavior from ungodly behavior. Listen, guys, we've got to know the Word of God. And the one thing I'm I'm walking away convinced of almost every day now that I'm alive is that we have completely lost our understanding of the Word of God. You know, I sit in the classroom with a group of teenagers who are growing up in church and they can't tell me the first thing about the Bible, many of them. They can't tell me Bible stories that I just took for granted. I'm not saying they're all like that. I'm saying a lot of them are like that. They just don't know the word of God. And because they don't know the word of God and they don't see it as authoritative, they don't see it as, as God's word, they're going to spend a lot of their time just drifting. Finding out the hard way what's true and what's false. Finding out the hard way how they should act and how they should live. We, we've, got, we've got to ingest this word. It is, it is our. It, it keeps us in that straight and narrow. It keeps us on path. It keeps us on task. We also have to make time to pray. Make time to pray. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. A lot of the reasons we, we give in to temptation is because we haven't really thought about it until then. Haven't really asked the Lord to help us avoid it. I love the Lord's Prayer that says, you know, keep us from the evil one. How many of us actually pray that? Keep, us, keep me from the evil one. Keep me from the evil one. Guess what? That's a prayer God might answer if we ask him to do it. Because I guarantee you the evil one's going to be there waiting on us. Pray. Make time to pray. Let Christ... Be given the right to guard your heart and mind from drifting back into those worldly desires and thoughts again, from giving in to sinful behavior. Listen, if you're in addiction, if, I'm telling you, there is no greater power in your life than to spend time in prayer and meditation, letting the Lord speak to you and give you direction. Thirdly, make time to fellowship. Make time to Fellowship. Make time to get into the word of God, make time to pray, but make time to fellowship. This is, we have bought into a lie that we don't need each other in this walk. That we don't need each other in this journey home. And I'm telling you, nothing could be further from the truth. I need you, you need me. Hebrews chapter 3 says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Well, God brings us together to help us stay accountable, to help us, to, help us, uh, to keep us from straying. There's, there's a purpose in, in fellowship. There's a reason behind it. It's not something we take for granted. And I could go on and on and on about how, to, how we can make time to recalibrate our desires and recalibrate Our thoughts, make time to fast, make time to meditate, make time to give. One of the the great things about giving is that it breaks you free from materialism. So make time to give because this world is saturated with materialism. Make time to serve, make time to rest, make time to recalibrate your desires and your thoughts. Fix your mind and heart on heaven if you want to be all that God has called you to be. We're going to bring it to an end. John, I'm going to ask you to come, if you would, and help us uh, serve communion today. One of the primary reasons that the Lord calls us to share the Lord's Supper together is for that very reason, to help us recalibrate our hearts and minds. It helps us step away from our From being consumed with this world, it helps remind us what Christ did for us. It helps us redirect our affection and our attention back toward the one who gave himself up for us. It also helps us remember that this world's not our home that heaven's on its, on its way. And that's our ultimate destination. I want to ask John to come meet us in communion. And as we do, I, I, I want you to allow the Spirit of God to honestly examine your heart. Because we have to ask ourselves in times like this, and we're called to do this, we're called to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith whether or not our thoughts and our affections are focused on the right things.